to the Shaman's Creed Live. <laughs> we didn't practice that well. <laughs> Usually we're really, okay, who's going to go first? Uh, but right now you're watching it. We're over on Facebook Live and and YouTube Live. But in about two seconds, we're going to remove the Facebook Live because we're doing this to grow our subscriber and get more interaction going on our YouTube channel. So hopefully uh, you're going to come over to YouTube and join us there live. That's right. We're very excited um, uh, about having a different technology that we can use. Um, I'm just so people know I'm on my iPad. And so my image looks a little weird um, and it's the best I can do at the moment, but I am here. <laughs> looking up at the sky, but I am here. <laughs> All right. I see us on, I see us on YouTube. And so I put a link. If you're on the shaman's cave on Facebook, I'm going to be changing that right now and toggling off the Facebook. So click on the link to the YouTube, the shaman's cave, and we'll be here with you for the next, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour, depending on your questions. And we're getting ready to, to answer some questions. All right, so, now we're just on YouTube. Okay. We do have a question. Um, and I can start with that, Renee. How does that sound? Sounds great. And we have people watching. So hello. And we're hoping that you all have hit the subscribe button. Yes. We'll say that 10 times today. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, to borrow a term I've heard from another podcaster, if you find the show meaningful to you in any way whatsoever, if you get something out of it, then uh, it doesn't hurt to push the sub subscribe button. And it, it just helps us out a little bit so that we can keep going. So uh, we have a question. Um, and the question is, have you worked with spirit ancestors uh, that work with an area? And I can start with that because this is actually one of my core teachings. Um, and so when I train uh, shamanic teachers and when I train shamanic practitioners, I tell everybody that when you walk on a piece of land, if it's yours or uh, retreat centers or somebody's home, and you're planning on doing some spiritual work, you better welcome the spirit ancestors of the land because they're here because they love the land and they don't know who you are. All of a sudden, a stranger comes onto this land and says, I'm going to start doing fire ceremonies. I'm going to start calling down. I'm going to start doing my own rituals. And the ancestors are saying, who are you? So what I do when I go to retreat centers is um, I, I actually start when I get out of the car. Well, actually, I start weeks before I even get to the retreat center because the ancestors are really um, serious. And what I do is I say to the ancestors, this is an open hearted group who's coming to do work. We don't know your ways, but we're trying to learn how to better ourselves, become more conscious, 
and do work to be in service to others and the planet. So will you please support our work? So it's really important. So where you live, connect to the spirit of your land, which is a little bit different. And then the ancestors of your land, leave them offerings, say to them that you don't know their ways, but you're living on their land and you're so grateful to be on the land. And um, will they support you because you're doing good work and you're only working from your heart? Well, that's way more, um, that's where I'm more conscientious than I've been. Last year, I was moving some plants around because I was building. So I did my best to, you know, move all the plants around on the property. And then there are these hairy tree, they're hairy grass things. And I really like them. Um, and so I moved one and it was a grandfather hairy grass and it was very upset with me for moving it without really having a communication with it first. And so one day it actually tossed me on my butt. I mean, I literally, and it was like, I just sat there, me and the plant laughing, like, how dare you just put me over here without even asking when I was really comfortable over there. And it was like perfect growing conditions. And now you expect me to just move. And I realized, wow, I had moved a lot of the plants without really asking them about where they were going. And so ever since then, I've been a whole lot more conscientious about where I put the plants in the yard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And I've shared this story on this uh, show before, but um, um, I taught a a soul retrieval workshop in Tennessee in 1997 during Hurricane Opal. And I talked to the ancestors of the land. And for our fire ceremony, the hurricane stopped. We were in the eye of the storm. And I talked to the ancestors before I got uh, there. And I talked to the ancestors when we got there about how special our group was. And we were so heart-centered, but we just didn't know the old ways. And we were learning. And we were just supported. And... I found that before I started talking to the ancestors of the land, before I brought a group, there was always some kind of problem. Too much rain, too much snow, too much sun, uh, whatever, you know. And when I started talking to the ancestors of the land before I started doing my work, not an issue. So uh, results is everything. (laughs) So um, try it. And and just want to say something that it's not doesn't always necessarily work either, because we were at a retreat center a few years ago and I brought kites because I wanted to do some wind divination and the wind did not blow at this retreat center. I mean, and if you if you've read any of my The Winds of Spirit book, you'll realize that we need the wind to blow. Otherwise, the pond goes over with um, scum And of course, the same place with no wind blowing was having this red tide thing going on in their pond and you couldn't swim. You know, you probably didn't want to get too close for the fire ceremony. And what we kept asking, like, we realized that the land had been sucked dry. All of the, the, you know, you'd hope that retreats would, would give back. And this is what Sandra's talking about is like when you give back to the land, but for years and years, people were just going and, you know, sucking the place dry of energy and so we got there of course with the wind 
and there was no wind. At one point, I actually got on the golf cart with the kite, with trying to get the kite to fly with the golf cart, and everyone was laughing, and we didn't. So our divination was like, when the wind stops blowing, the pond becomes unswimmable, and the energy just isn't there to necessarily do the work. And so what we tried to do for the rest of the time was to nourish the land mm -hmm. so that to bring back harmony to that land. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, sometimes land just needs to rest. Mm -hmm. and, and you see that with places selling and, and nobody buys it. Um, I think it's just the land wants to rest for a while. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. So we got to, did you see some other questions? Um, someone asked, uh, BG's here. I'm getting all the uh, the comments about ha how um, happy everybody is, and we're happy to see everybody. But uh, I am not getting the uh, questions. So. Oh, so the question, well, the questions are coming through that. So um, Bejeezer had two questions. One was, uh, did shamanism call you, um, or uh, oh, see, look at I can put it right here. Did shamanism call you all, or did you seek it out? You want to start or you want me to start? <laughs> uh, definitely. Um, I'll start on this one. Shaman mm -hmm. called me out. In fact, it wasn't until I was sitting, I think year two with Sandra on the shaman's cave. And I, we were talking about our initiations that you looked over at me and said in a, in a nonchalant way, Oh, that was your shamanic calling in your initiation, you know, like your shamanic calling. And I had never, looked at it that way before I had looked at it as an experience that I had where I was dismembered. And it was, I was in this um, ballroom with a lecturer at the front of the room and I was totally dismembered into pieces, sewn back together with arrows. And my friends literally had to carry me out and put me into bed where I stayed for several days. And I knew it was an experience, but I didn't really realize that that was the turning turning point in, in my call into a, a deeper shamanic practice, although it happened naturally. But until you put words to it, I was really on a, on kind of blind to that. So I really appreciated that part of our conversation. Mm. Yeah, in a lot of ways, I was uh, blind to my call, too, because um um, my call uh, started with near-death experiences, endless near-death experiences, hit by lightning, drowning, driving off a cliff, uh, and the list goes on. Um, but I grew up in Brooklyn, and I grew up in uh, an immigrant uh, culture, and it was not a culture where shamanism was talked about um, I know that people knew about it. Um, I know people who immigrated from Italy, the old grandmothers probably knew a lot, but I never knew to go to them and say, I just got hit by lightning. What does that mean? Um, and so I didn't know what all these experiences were about. And then um, I was, I, I got my degree in marine biology and I decided uh, to go back and work with people. And I got my master's in counseling psychology. And I was working so many hours to put myself through school. Um, um, I was taking, I was, I was just taking too many classes and I was working two jobs. 
And one of my jobs was at the school and somebody came in and said some man was coming out from uh, the East Coast. He was teaching a workshop. They didn't even know what the workshop was on. Nobody knew what the workshop was on. But the news, the rumor was that I could get two easy units if I signed up. So I just put my name again. I worked in the registrar's office. I didn't even look. I was so busy. I didn't even look at what I was signing up for. And um, it turned out to be a beginning workshop on shamanism on uh, Halloween of 1980. And so I felt that that was where the universe actually picked me up and put me down where I was supposed to be. And I, I constantly reflect on this because there were so many choices I could have made that would have led me in a completely different direction, completely different direction. There were so many choices that were really vibrant and alive and passionate for me. But this, but I chose to go into some workshop um, that I had no idea what it was about. And so I, I do believe that sometimes the universe tries to trick us into doing something. And we answer the call. There are great rewards for it if we allow ourselves to be tricked. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that trickery, foolery, uh, shaman foolery, I love that. Uh, please feel free to share some of your experiences in the chat too. And thank you for that great question. This is a Q and a, so make sure you ask your questions and you can also um, make sure to uh, click on to um, subscribe, share this if you'd like. So there's another question here. Let's see if there's any other ones. Um, you guys are slow on the questions. Are you just loving us so much? So we yeah. have, here, here's a question. Any viewpoints on two-spirited beings? Do you want to start that one or you want me to start that one? You go ahead and start that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. In my early, so part of my initiation was I went, I thought after I came came to the shamanic path, I thought I was going to go to Tahoe's. And so Tahoe's, the mountains booted me off. And it was like one of those in-person aberrations in my living room pointing west and then everything in Taos fell apart. I knew I wasn't supposed to be there and I ended up in California. And very soon after I ended up in California, I met people that I still know 30 years later. And one of the people took me to an Anipi lodge. And there was a men's lodge and a woman's lodge. And our our woman's our woman's um the the woman who ran the woman's lodge, she had grown up on the um Rosebud Reservation, and really had a traditional lodge. What she didn't realize, no one told her, was that a good majority of the women in her lodge were two-spirited. And we didn't tell her it because, well, first of all, she never really asked. And second of all, it didn't even, her, her, she wanted to teach us how to spirit flight and how to sing and how to have ceremony. And she taught me how to pray. And it wasn't until several years later when there was some dissension among the ranks after her, her husband died that somebody told her that her lodge was filled with lesbians. And so first she didn't know what to do because it wasn't like on her, it wasn't on her periphery. 
But then one night in the lodge, she used to tell, she used to sing so beautifully and she used to tell us these stories. And she used one after she came to terms with it and stood up to the men who were like very upset with this. She, she told us a story about the two spirited ones in her tribe that the two spirited ones were the ones who were able to see into both worlds. Those mm-hmm. were the magicians. Those were the ones with medicines. And I think at that point, uh, she moved in the, the lodge kind of that the woman's lodge kind of um, disassembled at that point, but it gave us permission to understand that the medicine that we've had was really profound. And then one of my good friends, uh, Chris, he does drag and he did a shamanic piece about the two spirited ones and it really owned it for me. And I actually had him do it at a conference um, that I used to run the LGBTQ conference from a, a perspective of owning those two spirits within yourself. And I believe that whether you're gay, straight, you know, however you identify non-gender, non-binary, that we all have two spirits living in us because we, we are of, you know, multifaceted universe and, and it's just not one thing. Right. Yeah. I had um, back in, um, I can't remember when it was probably back in the really early 1990s. I had uh, a two spirited um, uh, Lakota elder in my workshop. And so she was uh, really interesting because um she taught me a, a lot about her tradition and um, about the, the culture and the way that, that she was working. At the time, um, it uh, at the time I was a lot younger. We're going back about twenty five years. I was uh, a lot younger than I am now, and I didn't understand a, a lot of it. And then, as I continued my studies. Um, we see over in the Asian uh, cultures, because uh, mostly we think of, uh, when we talk of two-spirited, uh, we, we, we think of the Lakota, we think of uh, the United States. Um, but over in um, parts of Asia, um, if a shaman is a woman, she dresses as a man when she does her work. And if a shaman is a man, he dresses as a woman uh, when he does his work. And so that's a, a very common practice that you see throughout um, Asia, where again, there's the marriage, there's a marriage going on um, um, between two uh, parts, two different spirits. Um, in some shamanic cultures, I know this is off topic, but it's just interesting. <laughs> in some shamanic cultures, shamans actually have uh, wives and husbands and children in non-ordinary reality. They have different families than they have here. So um, we don't know where kind of all of this originated and how all of this started, but it seems to be um, important in different cultures to really honor um, the two spirits, as uh, Renee talked about, that live within us and that live with, outside of us. Hmm. That would be interesting, um, interesting to, to visit some of the 
the spirits in your own backyards and see what's, you know, how they choose to represent. One of the things in Winds of Spirit is that when I was doing the mythology research of the wind spirits, cultures identified them as primarily masculine or feminine. And what we learned in the early studies, because remember, this was a body of work that hadn't been on the, the earth plane for quite a while in that way. And some um, some of the students are saying, yeah, that's written as it's a male spirit, but it's revealing itself to me as a, a feminine, more feminine based energetic because they're energetics there. And so, um, in, in fact, I had a, a student who was really profoundly um, upset with the use of pronouns in terms of the wind. And I, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't untake those pronouns out from the book at that point. But it did really open my eyes to what are we talking about with the wind spirits? Are they are they energies that define as, you know, what we define as masculine and feminine? And I do believe in this next generation of, um, you know, this new generation arising that they have a, a much more loosely defined uh, soul spirit of what masculine and feminine is. And you know, when I was doing the LGBTQ conference, I used to say that I believed, you know, in the spiritual evolution, gender is dissolving and becoming way more fluid. And it's certainly appearing that way on the external. Yeah. And I've actually been talking to my husband Woods about this a lot um, in that um, people are probably talking about this and Renee's probably in groups that talk about this, but um, I, it's it's not a population that um, I chat with. And uh, due to uh, the pollution and what's happening in the, the climate, it's affecting it's affecting younger kids' hormones. Mm. So I'm wondering if if a lot of the gender issues that are coming up for people are coming up for people because they don't have the hormones to identify uh, where, where they want to be or how they're feeling. Interesting. Um, and that's just been coming to me because um, yeah. we're ruled by our hormones. And if our hormones aren't, uh, aren't um, separating uh, us into uh, male characteristics and female characteristics, then we're just, we're one. Um, Interesting. You know, many years ago, I was working with a homeopathy uh, more actively and they, in England, they had created uh, a homeopath, uh, a remedy for plastic wrap because they believed the plastic wrap was what was um, interfering with the hormone development. And mm -hmm. so they actually, uh, I still have some dots from the plastic wrap, which was really helpful for, uh, for hormone, you know, hormonal kind of imbalances in people. All right. Well, that we covered that topic pretty well. This is fun, Sandra. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I'm trying to uh, read some of the questions up here. That's and um, yeah, what are mushroom people in the underground? Can you help me understand? Um, hmm, I I'm a little bit confused about that too uh, what i can say is for me the the mushroom people are um <clears throat> in shamanism we believe that everything is a sentient being and is alive and um mushrooms are our ally and 
um, I call mushrooms because mushrooms were in the past were a huge ally for me and really shaped me into the person that I am. And um, I called them the mushroom people. <laughs> um, and a lot of people do. Uh, it's like um, people call trees uh, uh, tree people. Um, it's kind of a similar thing. I'm not exactly sure what the context is of what you're, how you're asking the question, but that's the response that I can give you about what the mushroom people mean to me. <laughs> so when I was in struggling in my twenties and thirties with on the struggle bus, you know, I would, when I would, then it was a recreational psilocybin and I had no idea that it was, you know, it made me laugh so hard. And, and, and then it turned around and brought out the, the sadness in an equally profound and pressing way. And because I work in behavioral health, uh, there's, you know, there's this push to get the psilocybin, which I would imagine are mushroom people into, you know, the mainstream doctor's office and the therapeutic offices and the couches and stuff like that. And I keep having this conversation and I'm hoping to get it at the emerging themes conference next year about set and setting, because if we just take the, the medicines from the woods and the plants and we separate them from the experience of that, they are of nature then are we really are we really healing anything, or do we just think if we we give people psilocybin in a in a uh, on the couch in a doctor's office that all of a sudden they're going to become more nature bound? So I, I think that the, it's a real question for me of the set and setting of all of these medicines and mushrooms included. And who knows that if I just did those mushrooms on my own at 20, that they might have led me to the fire walking ceremony at my 30s. I don't know that, but I think we were at a great doorway to find out how we can really work more closely with the mushroom people to help the ongoing anxiety and depression and suicide rates that are increasing in this world. Absolutely. Yeah, I've seen uh, neuroscientists actually say that they actually don't see people healing unless they do um, uh, psychotropic uh, substances. And that's really interesting. To I don't know if that's true for myself. Uh, I don't know if that's the belief that I have, but it's interesting that a lot of neuroscientists are starting to make statements like that. What was I'm sorry, what was the statement that they don't see them that, healing or that that they don't see people healing from depression, anxiety, and suicidal tendencies unless they start taking psychotropic drugs? Well, that's kind of a, a, a that's kind of a broad blanket statement too. Right. But, um, you know, being on the ground floor cutting edge kind of I work for a behavioral healthcare company that is really all about the holistics. And um they are they're they're being, these scientists are now being able to map the brain so closely that um, three three people I work with went for this this new EKG brain mapping situation mm -hmm. or four. It could tell that one of them was a meditator, one of them was not, and one of them uh, needed some therapy. I mean, it it could show in their brainwave patterns what was working, what wasn't working. So my guess is that 
even if they, the neuroscientists believe this, that mm-hmm. over the next few years, they're going to be able to show it hand in hand. But the thing is, is, is for us shamanic practitioners, who most of you are here listening, are, you know, we we have to continue with the ritual and the ceremony. We have to be there ready when people are more opened up to, to be there. So I, I just, I caution us that, yes, the medicines can help people heal, and our work is more important than ever. Absolutely. Um, I, um, you know, I've been very public about this. I started taking um, LSD at a very early age. I was 13, 14 years old, besides smoking marijuana. And it was just what we did in my neighborhood. Everybody, <laughs> everybody did it. And um, I had a friend. We'd walk all night long to the ocean watch the moon go down, the sun come up, walk all the way back. I went to school every day. I I told people I took vitamin C. Um, I took um, an orange sunshine before I went to class every single day. I was an A student, opened up my uh, brain. And, you know, this went on, mushrooms, LSD, all kinds of um, different psychedelics and it was amazing. It really expanded me um, to this incredible place. But what I realized is that I had no path. I just had an unbelievable amount of uh, uh, spiritual information. And I had an expanded consciousness, but I didn't know what to do with it. And so it wasn't until I found shamanism an actual practice that I could do on a daily basis that grounded my spiritual visions, grounded my spiritual expansion, grounded what was happening for me throughout my entire life. And so I think that, you know, like they're using psilocybin now for people who are afraid of death. That's amazing. That's really wonderful. You know, you're, you're in hospice, you're afraid of dying, and they give you psilocybin. What a gift. But if you're a younger person and you can go outside, um, go into nature, um, you know, because uh, mushrooms are nature beings. And if you want to do mushrooms, do them in nature and uh, get a different viewpoint of the world around you because you can. But don't forget to be what Renee would call the practical shaman. Um, (laughs) And so you have to come back in a grounded way. You have to come back in a way that you can function and that you're actually doing your work in the world. And so we're seeing a lot of people who go and get into these expanded states of consciousness, but then they don't know what to do with it. So they think they have to keep going back, 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 back. But the key is let the door be opened and then do the work. (laughs) Wow. I just got a new line for my marketing plan for my new book proposal about who the audience is. All these people have been out there, you know, doing these clinical trials and, of that who then need a path that's a <laughs> add it i bet that i got some research on numbers for that um that's great we have another question coming up here this is fun i, I like doing this so i think we're going to plan to do it some some more mm-hmm. all right our next question uh from An- anna dean 
So it says a lot of spiritual channelings mention that we are being upgraded on a cell level so that we can better incorporate the new energies that are coming in. Thoughts? Um, let's see. Uh, Renee, can you just repeat the beginning? I was looking at the end of it. I can't see the beginning of the question. Oh, it's right Thank on the screen. Can you see it in front of you? A lot yeah. of spiritual channelings mention that we are being upgraded on a cell level so that we can better incorporate the new energies that are coming in. Yeah. Um, I think my own personal opinion on this is nobody's being upgraded. Nobody's being upgraded. You you upgrade if you do the work, but there isn't some magical upgrade where people are waking up into being a higher consciousness. But the work I'm doing every day, really, really hard work, really hard work. And the work that I'm teaching right now in my advanced medicine for the earth training um, is really hard work, daily hard work, but is raising everybody's consciousness. Um, and so the issue with the spiritual community is um, that I've seen, because I've been in, in the spiritual community for 40 years, is we're all waiting for the magic wand, uh, whether it's uh, through a soul retrieval and extraction, the aliens coming to save us, <laughs> some, some energy coming from where that's raising our consciousness. And I work with, in the Medicine for the Earth work, that everything that you're seeing outside is a reflection of your inner self. And so there actually doesn't exist a force that can raise your consciousness. In, in, in the roadmap that I work with shamanically, the only being that can raise your consciousness is you. <laughs> Well, this is some things we agree on and some things we, we don't always see totally eye to eye. We agree on a lot, though, actually. But on this one, I agree. Um, I do this, this been doing these Diksha meditations with uh, these practitioners since COVID. Like it was like my weekly breath work, hang on to the rope kind of thing. And uh, every month the Swami comes on and does a teaching. And one time it's about relationships and the other time it's about money and it's not, it's always about a topic right but no matter what the topic is the work is always the same to look at where I'm being self-centered to look at where you know I can't forgive to look at it always comes back to that even though enlightenment is a chemical shift in the brain it doesn't happen unless you know you get struck awake and there's some people that happens to without doing the cleaning up those neural pathways so that that awakening state. So like sometimes the life have felt totally blissed out with these things. And for the next three days, I have to look at something that was painful in my childhood or somewhere where I was not forgiving of something, or I mean, and, it, and, it, and what I will say is that the more I wake up with these things, I don't have to go in the murk of it. I used to sit in a darkened room for days on end to be in my own self-pity. But now it's just like, oh, well, isn't that interesting that that's still creating the neural pathways through my brain in order to block me from the sunlight of my own soul. And so it's just 
like you say, Sandra, it's just about showing up to do our work. And sometimes it's really painful and uncomfortable. Like about, a, I was, before I left the desert, I tripped over a box and fell over onto another box. And I scraped my shin from my knee down to just about my ankle. And so I thought, oh, this is healing nice. Then all of a sudden, all of that water went into my heel. And for those of you who know that I like to take a week, a daily wind walk, I have been unable to walk for a month. Like, I mean, I can walk, but I can't take a walk. And the day I tried to take a walk, I couldn't walk for another week. And so there's this idea of sometimes spirit gives us a little bit of a, a, a slow up so that we can do deeper work or other work. And, you know, and it's not like I did something wrong and I deserve this. It was like, no, I probably needed to shift gears and, you know, focus my attention on like, wow, for me, what's it looked at is, wow, life is short. I better start having more fun. And so now I've booked concerts this summer. I've booked plays this summer. I thought, you know, what if the walking went? I need more activities. And so I'm really playing with the activities that I do. That's perfect. That's really wonderful. Yeah. All right. No one has any more questions. Well, I guess maybe the the perfect timing for these are 40 minutes because we don't have any more questions. (laughs) Uh, Sandra, do you want to end with a thought and then we can. Yeah. Well, I just, I just really want to thank everybody for uh, showing up today I realized that uh, some of you didn't realize that uh, this was going to be live. And um, hopefully, um, hopefully, as Renee said, we'll have uh, more experiences. And I just I just really wanted to end with and it kind of ends with what Renee was talking about is um, is if we really if you really do your spiritual work and the uncomfortable spiritual work, meaning that you have to stop your day and really look at what you're reacting to. Why did you just say this to another person? You know, really come back to, are you blessing people? Are you cursing people with your words, your thoughts, your energy? Are you blessing yourself? Are you cursing yourself with your words, thoughts, and energy? And that's really hard work to do. But if you do it, that's what creates that incredible expanded consciousness. And it I know from doing the work myself, it's really hard, but I feel like I'm being completely reshaped. And so for those of you who are looking at how do I raise my frequency and how do I raise my consciousness, There are spiritual tools to do that, that will help you do it. But you have to understand that it's a discipline and it takes a tremendous amount of concentration and focus. And you might need to let go of some of your distractions um, Mm -hmm. in order to do that. But, um, But the rewards are really great. That's all I have to say, because they bring you to a place of peace they bring you to place of harmony, and they bring you to place of loving yourself, loving others, and loving life. And that's personally where I would like to be, and that's where my spiritual practices are taking me to. 
And so I just really want to encourage people to do the hard work. There's an amazing amount of rewards that come with it. And just blessings to you. And thanks for everything that you are doing, no matter what you're doing. Uh, No matter what you're doing, every little good thought, every little loving thought is changing you and is changing the world. So thank you. And Sami had to come and say hello and goodbye. She um, she loves when Sandra and I get together. She likes to sometimes just sit here because you know what? Your animals know your energy and your good energy. And thank you, Maureen, for being such an active supporter in our groups and sharing our messages. And I really appreciate what you bring here too. And Jennifer, I just want to end on this about the this two-spirit. I think there's a whole show around this, Sandra, because there's a lot of questions around it. Mm-hmm. And is that, to me, uh, we have one soul that kind of goes to lifetime to lifetime, but that in, in this incarnation, in this, in this vehicle, this Cadillac vehicle that I'm transporting, that this soul has many facets, and many, many, you know, in, 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 even in a shamanic perspective, it, it kind of had facets that died at certain points so that new facets could be born. But that this, this particular soul, maybe because it's at this time in space in history that we're at now, it, it needed to be two spirits and it needed to be two spirits from the get go for me because you know, I was one of the first women in one of the kitchens in New York City. And, you know, Sandra, we, we had a, a bigger, a lot of you probably on this call, we had we had a big mission to help transport the world into a time of epic change. And and if the world is changing, it mean, needs many faces of our souls. So I, I think that we, we, a lot of us have two spirits at this time in history in order to help us with this evolutionary time we're in. I just wanted to say uh, to anybody who is really interested in this topic of uh, Two-Spirit, I would say that uh, go read um, Marseille Iliadi's book. Um, um, oh, God. <laughs> Stay I think it's called Shamanism. Yeah. Uh, shamanism, um, <laughs> practice of ecstasy, because he really did the research on Two-Spirit. He did the research. And if we did a show, I would just get my book out and read what um, Marseille Iliadi said. And so you can find his work online, and he really did the research on this. Mm-hmm. So uh, check it out. It's a good, it's a really good book to have as part of your um, library, along with Sandra and I's book and Winds of Spirit. Um, you know, a lot of times when people say, oh, what, what are your favorite shaman books? You know, ours. <laughs> we really like our books. Um, and, and, and I'm working on my new book called The Practical Shaman. So I'm really looking forward to bringing that out into the world in the, in the next year or so. Um, so. Uh, All right. Well, we're not going to get into two souls right now, but we're really glad you were here. And this was really a lot of fun for us, too. And we're talking about bringing some more in and stay tuned and watch. Not only do you subscribe to this channel, the next time I'll trust the software and I'll actually schedule the event in advance. So if you're a subscriber, you'll hear about the event next time up sooner. So thank you.